you see a pea-sized budget adjustment. This week, there's a lot of comments about, quote, fiscal houses being in order from politicians. I don't think we'll get into whose house is cleanest. Plus, the high-level line, dream is alive, at least for now. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 65. Right off the top of the episode, I want to give our Christmas gift request from you, dear listener, because we don't ask for much each week. Just, you know, good policy from city councils doing exactly what Troy <laughs> wants. A core zone, maybe. Yeah, that'd be a nice Christmas present. All of that aside, what we want from you this Christmas, dear listener, is tell your friends about this podcast, because here's the thing. We're the best municipal politics podcast in Edmonton. And I can say that with 100% certainty. Uh, We are the only one, but still. Definitely the best. That makes us innovative and like a niche market. And have you ever been in a room with someone who just doesn't know what's going on because they just can't keep track of everything and they don't have a fit? Star Metro's disappearing. Maybe they're not reading it on the train anymore. Tell them about speaking municipally. Just say, hey. I got this cool podcast. You should listen to it. That would make us happy. That would be amazing. Yeah. And that's all you have to do. You don't even have to go rate and review us on iTunes, though if you were going to do that, you could as well. Five stars would be great. don't have to click subscribe in your podcaster of choice so that you get notified. No, we don't need you to do any of those things right now. We just need you to tell your friends about Speaking Municipal. Spread the word. In the interim, we can warm everyone up with a quick Yule Log Fired Rapid Fire segment. City of Edmonton Chief Planner Peter Ohm announced shocking news about the next stop on his circuit, retirement. The role of Chief Planner was a new one sparked by Peter when he moved into the position in 2016. Unfortunately, he was unable to resist the call of retirement and is ready to move on to the Omega phase of his career. Those are all electricity puns. Ohm is a unit of... I took physics, okay? I like it. I like it. The city of Edmonton announced this week that by January, its entire fleet of 28 photo radar trucks will be covered with a bright chartreuse wrapping and contain a flag on a flexible pole and will have the words drive safe printed on the side in large block lettering. This also comes with the announcement that changes will be made to the locations that vehicles can be parked to address, quote, complaints from Edmontonians that vehicles are not easy to spot. This change represents another point on the rapidly increasing chart of job losses in the province of Alberta, as journal columnist David Staples will no longer have anything to write about, and the cash cow radar ahead sign waivers will have to pick up shifts outside of closing out furniture stores. An Edmonton business is struggling to find a supply of Christmas trees due to a nationwide shortage. Chiefly at issue is the 2008 recession, during which time many suppliers were financially restricted and unable to plant trees that would be due for maturity about now. However, as a consumer, I was very confused and bewildered to see a vendor that does not sell vertically oriented curtain rods reaching out to news organizations to air his grievances during the holiday season, and it remains unclear to me exactly what holiday he's selling home decorations for. Speaking Municipally is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. This episode is brought to you by A Tale of Two Weeklies, a new podcast series that digs into the rise and fall of Edmonton's C Magazine and View Weekly, two alt-weeklies that engaged in a newspaper war that neither survived. Here's a brief listen. It was a newspaper war. Good old-fashioned <laughs> knock-down, drag-out newspaper war. I think we were really good at... Uh 
winning jackpots with lousy hands. I'm the type of person who cringes at pretty much everything I've ever done, ever. Um, yeah, my whole career is a series of regrets. For 26 years, two rival magazines existed as the alternative weekly press in one mid-sized Canadian prairie city. The rivalry was was like the only thing we cared about. And we were, we were soldiers in that ongoing um, battle. I just considered us sort of like this like special world of people who happened to be lucky enough to be able to do this. It was really fun, <laughs> even though it made me miserable and, and eventually left me feeling sort of broken. A Tale of Two Weeklies is the story of V Weekly and C Magazine, two papers that ran in Edmonton between 1992 and 2018. The podcast covers their rise, glory days, notorious rivalry, and eventual decline. Listen at taleoftwoweeklies.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The series is created by the team behind I Don't Get It and is funded by the Edmonton Heritage Council. You can search for A Tale of Two Weeklies wherever pods are cast or visit taleoftwoweeklies.com. So off the top, uh, it looks like I have to talk to Business Daddy about complaints that the podcast has gotten in the past week. Yeah, well, you know you're doing something right when you get notes that people say, careful, because I feel like Jason Kenny said the same thing. You know you're doing something right. And the <laughs> okay, Ralph Klein of it all true. was a little bit... We're not, we're not making that association. He was reminiscing about those days, wasn't he? Okay, yeah. let me put it this way. People are listening to the show and we have proof. Cool. Yeah. Uh, Councillor Hamilton uh, is a frequent listener of the show. I think I can say that. And uh, reached out after our last episode to say that she thought that perhaps we misrepresented uh, how she feels about transit. And I will admit that when you asked me the question during that episode, you know, why did she vote against it? Or why, what was the, you know, the five people that voted against the bus network redesign? What was their rationale? And I was like, oh, it wasn't really clear. Like, you know, anyway, Councillor Hamilton helpfully wrote a blog post explaining why she voted against it. Um, she says in bold text in her blog post that at the end of the day, I couldn't vote to change something knowing the hardship it will cause a minority of residents. So she explains in the blog post that she likes the principles behind it, and she agrees with the rationale that ETS put forward, but she heard from a particular stalwart critic of the redesign who said that it was being rolled out without any kind of testing or alternative services in place for the people that maybe have to walk a little bit farther now than they would have before. And that pushed her over the edge and made her feel like she couldn't support it. So that is the official position of Councillor Hamilton. We will link to her blog post in the show notes. I will just say that Voting to change something knowing it will cause hardship to a minority of residents is almost the definition of being a city councillor. You have to make difficult decisions that not everybody agrees with, don't you? I'm also pretty sure that we did mention that specific quote. At least I mentioned it in the show before you because I had read that quote before about that, you know, I couldn't vote this because it inconvenienced a minority. And I'm like, yeah, or something sure. to that effect. I, I believe it wasn't maybe in the Hamilton episode, but it wasn't a recent episode where it's just like, hey. If you don't want to inconvenience a minority after serving the majority, maybe increase levels of service by voting to fund the transit network. Uh, austerity doesn't exactly get that. So she says she's a supporter of transit. When you had reached out earlier this week on Slack to say, hey, we mischaracterized... Uh, or maybe mischaracterized. We allegedly <laughs> mischaracterized <laughs> Councillor Hamilton as someone who's not a supporter of transit. My first response was, hey, but election... Um, and so I went digging, uh, doing some Twitter search. I hoped you would. Admittedly, she was less 
aggressively anti-transit as I had given her credit for. So you remembered it a little more harshly than... Well, what I had remembered was a Ward 5 full of people who were vehemently anti-LRT. Mm-hmm. She was also anti-LRT, but far less vehemently than her peers, but because no journalism was materially done on the past election, it was basically the collection of Ward 5 candidates don't want LRT and want BRT instead, and she just got lumped in. Searching diligently for her specific commentary, there wasn't actually a ton. Most of what she complained about was seven-minute left turns, um, which is coded language a little bit, but benefit of the doubt, maybe she just wants short left turns and really wants the LRT. There was one specific quote, and it came from a David Staples column, where she had mentioned to Staples, quote, before we put money into this, we've got to get it right. Uh, says Hamilton, who owns Sparrow Communications, quote, if you put a BRT in for five years and no one uses it, what does that tell you about the LRT plan? End quote. So I read two things from there. One, this does not read to me like a counselor who knows the several billions of dollars of investment that LRT. So maybe credit to her. She's learned on her term two terms in council because in our live episode, she espoused the virtues of LRT. That's right. Um, And the other thing it sounds like is, well, agreeing with the alignment aside, she was totally on board of let's do BRT as trial balloons. Yeah. But we've explained BRT as trial balloon. That doesn't make a lot of sense. Doesn't make a lot of sense. So in fairness, we were probably a bit more aggressive, but also in fairness, your transit credentials, you got to vote harder because again, looking at your past comments and looking at your Your voting voting record so far. Yep. I am unconvinced you are a staunch supporter of transit. Thanks for listening to the podcast, Sarah. <laughs> I was talking with Karen at uh, Chris Chang and Phillips uh, live podcast event that, hey, maybe one day I'm going to stop alienating the people who support our podcast and allow it to function. Not today. Speaking of alienating people, let's talk about the budget. This is the big topic this week, of course. So we're recording this on Wednesday this week. The public hearing will take place on Thursday, all about the upcoming budget adjustment for 2020. And the report that came out in to, to council last week about this says that basically, if we're going to keep taxes at 2.6%, then we need to find another $28 million. 26 of that comes directly from cuts that the province made. This is in the operating budget. Another two and a half or is a shortage of revenue from community and rec center facilities that the city is projecting. So if we didn't find that money somewhere, the tax increase would go from 2.6 to 4.3. You'll recall from listening to our podcast previously that council worked pretty hard to try to keep it at 2.6 per year. So a 4.3% increase would be maybe not so welcome. On the other hand, Calgary just approved a 7.5% increase for their budget adjustment. And actually more than that for homeowners because a lot of the, uh, they shifted a lot of the burden from businesses to homeowners. So Calgary, much more aggressive tax increase. So on the 2.6%, if we're going to keep it at that rate, um, the city identified, administration identified a number of strategies. So these include reducing operating hours at rec centers, which of course would impact revenues further. Uh, reducing the amount of contracted transit security. This was a big topic. We wanted to get, you know, have this feeling of safety on transit. Now they're proposing to cut that again. Eliminating 311 service on holidays, centralizing advertising budgets, and interestingly, canceling the municipal census and relying on the federal census 
for that data. And I say interestingly because cities in Alberta need to do some kind of a census in order to prove to the province how much money they should get for you know, certain grants and things like that. So if we're not doing that except every four years, aren't we potentially missing out on revenue? If our grants get cut anyway, does it matter? I guess not. So those are the potential things that council will be looking at. Uh, of course, they first get to hear from the public about what it thinks. I don't find that the reports themselves were specifically that interesting. Uh, bureaucrats are pretty good at doing what bureaucrats do. They, This is the shortfall and we need to cut the things that will cause the least amount of catastrophe. Yep. And not opening 311 on holidays. Sure. I'd prefer to have 311 on holidays. I'd prefer to be able to call on, you know, New Year's Eve and figure out when my buses are running. But if I can't because our budget got cut, then I, I think that's a reasonable place to cut versus, you know, homelessness or yeah. our shelter services or critical frontline services. I think that's true. What do you think about the centralization of advertising budgets as a proposal? I don't fully understand what that means. The only thing I took from that, I, I maybe I don't fully understand it either, is like that, you know, what you described with 301 is, I agree, like it'd be nice to have, but it's not super required. Ad centralizing advertising budgets, for example, is a completely internal thing that nobody else sees. Like it's not something that you and I interact with. Why wouldn't they do that anyway? And also, isn't that what the program and service review is supposed to be figuring out? I do wonder if uh, this means perhaps they're lumping more things in with advertising. Like, for example, the mayoral push to get a bigger like media presence in City Hall. Yeah. Maybe combining that with the advertising because there are the mandatory advertising for like public hearing and yeah. everything so maybe if there was one ad department and maybe it has an effect on some of the messaging but you're right that's a very charitable reading overall yeah. i think this is just like never ask to do things that just make the organization more streamlined and good them. yeah the next part we need to move on to before we get to counselors walters comments this yeah. week which is some meaty comments uh, stay tuned for that you had mentioned last week that it feels like we're in an election and we're two years from an election mm -hmm. i really felt that this week and i don't want to feel that like a municipal election yeah yes but i'm feeling it in a much worse way i remember because i ran in the 2017 municipal election and I don't think there was an NDP minister that would dream of commenting or endorsing a candidate in a municipal election. That's just wouldn't happen. We're having ministers, premiers, everyone at the provincial level really inserting themselves into municipal politics in a way that feels very electiony. And I'm not loving it. And I think at the forefront of that is municipal affairs minister, the only Edmontonian UCP MLA, Casey Madu. Yes. He said, quote, I expect them to put forward a budget that makes sense and that reflects the economic realities we're facing right now. We want to incentivize businesses and investment to come to Alberta, and I do not believe hiking taxes helps that effort. End quote. Obviously, the first thing I got from that is, that's a bit hypocritical, no? I mean... You've put the cities and municipalities in the position of being forced to consider raising taxes because you've cut their budgets. That's a charitable way of saying it. <laughs> Down in Calgary, uh, even Nenshi, he came out swinging very hard against... Uh, he's been fighting a lot with uh, the province, but he made the pretty salient points that the UCP have increased costs for service, increased user fees, increased property taxes, increased the deficit by $2 billion. 
and still deign to lecture cities about having their right. fiscal house in order. He has been getting the big fight going and he's been getting almost national coverage course, for his yeah. fight with it. Edmonton's been a bit more silent. However, um, this week that became less so. So Doug Schweitzer, he's the uh, current attorney general or justice minister, however you want to phrase it in Alberta, but he's, you know, a pretty prominent figure in the UCP caucus. And he said, quote, the left always love to stand up for their favorite mayor, referring to Nenshi here. <laughs> they line up with liberals like Justin Trudeau to praise Nenshi. I share Casey Madu's message to the city of Calgary. Get your fiscal house in order. What what is that? The question was asked by Andrew Knack. He said, yeah. quote, respectfully, minister, you were elected to serve all Albertans. The left is not your enemy. Democratically elected municipal leaders are not your enemy, which is just a very reasonable thing to say. Absolutely. All things considered. But this is the infighting we're seeing between the province and the municipalities. And I don't know if we go back to the orange dot, our episode about provincial politics and what it means for Edmonton. I predicted that we're going to see the UCP try to drive a wedge and make Edmonton out to be the villains That's so right. that they could run a slate of candidates in um, the municipal election and we could have a hard swing to conservative in the Edmonton municipal election. And at the time I said, that sounds logical, Troy, but that's a bit scary. That can't be real. Um, so I really wish I was wrong at this point, but those tweets don't um, don't inspire confidence. As well, Jeremy Farkas, uh, hard right conservative um, Calgary councillor, Mike Nickel, Mike Nickel, um, and <laughs> needs Car- no introduction. <laughs> and Carrie Diot, they did a panel um, just a couple months ago, basically saying how conservatives can take municipal councils in 2021. Um, Interesting. The idea of a slate has been publicly proposed by people on both councils, and we're seeing the divisive wedge being drawn. I think there's two interesting things to talk about here. One is that Andrew Knack is swiping back at the minister. In a very Andrew Knack way. In a very Andrew Knack way. Um, We also saw Michael Walters swipe back at the minister, and we'll get to him in a second. But we didn't see the mayor do it. Yeah, I guess if I could think of a charitable way to address this for the mayor, I would say he was in Ottawa last week actually talking to the federal government instead of making noise in the media, as his colleague down in Calgary has done over the last week. And he's not yet had the opportunity to discuss it at council, and I fully expect he'll make some firmer comments after the public hearing when they actually come to vote on the budget next week. However, I agree with you. It would have been nice to see a little fire in response to Madhu's comments. Other than that, I think it's time we address the elephant in the room this week. Sometimes we talk about Mike Nichols' mayoral run. Sometimes we talk about allegedly Andrew Knack and Sarah Hamilton's mayoral runs. This week we're going to talk about Michael Walter's mayoral run because... He was running for mayor this week. Yeah, and it's really good that you pay attention to this, Troy, so other people can track this. Because if you read the report about budget, it said we were further uh, requested by council to figure out what we could do to not just keep the tax increase at 2.6%, but make it zero. Of course, they don't point fingers and say who did what, and maybe you can read the motion details, but you know where it, that came from. It was Michael Walters. Yeah, and you've been following this this week. So what happened? We'll start with Michael Walters had in previous budget discussions 
put out the question. Kind of floated this idea. What Michael Walters likes to do, and he did this a lot this week, was say, I'm just asking the question. <laughs> I'm not proposing anything. I'm just asking the question. And the question he asked in this case was, well, what if instead of holding it at 2%, we cut it to zero? Right. And what it, would it take? Yeah. And administration diligently went and did that. They found that to do so, they would require uh, basically a further reduction of $44 million. This is on top of the 28 that they already know they've got to cut. Um, about 30 of that would come from the city. About 16 of that would come from the Edmonton Police Service. And some of the things that they would do in order to uh, achieve that would be reducing recreation pass discounts, reducing funding or eliminating funding for the Edmonton Sports Council, delaying alley renewal, which has been a big topic, closing four community and recreation facilities. They didn't say which ones, just that they would have to close four. Further cutting 311, reducing corporate support for community events, so the things that the city might sponsor. And then again, a thing they should just do anyway, maybe, which is reducing business travel and, and external training and workforce strategies, which probably is code for letting people go. So that's what administration said we would have to do. It's not pretty. I mean, it's not crazy, but it's not pretty. And this is just to get the increase down to zero. This isn't actually like a material cut right. to service. This is just saying, well, let's hold the line yeah. in our growth, which is a cut. So he had proposed that. And we had mentioned Andrew Knack's take on the Casey Madu tweet, which was just, you know, Andrew Knack, very measured and let's all get along and be good democratically elected people. Uh, Michael Walter's take was very different. And he said, quote, the municipal affairs minister could cut out his condescending lectures. YEGCC begins budget debate this week. We have a 0% tax increase, cost reductions and staffing levels on the table. Yeg could use this partnership and respect on many challenging issues. So there's two things to parse away there. One, is he really just asking the question if he's using we have 0% on, the, <laughs> on table the table as a uh, defense? Right. right. But the other thing, if you read what he's saying there, it's basically, hey, stop lecturing us. We're doing what you asked. And he's really taking credit for cuts to service that we've not yet actually discussed, let alone voted on. Speaking of cuts to service that we've not yet discussed or actually voted on, Michael Walters just casually floated cutting 2000s jobs. And before you at us, Michael Walters, yes, you have floated cutting 2000 jobs. What did he say this week? He said, I'm not suggesting that we engage in mass layoffs in this budget or 2000 job cuts in this budget. What I am suggesting is we have to justify why our staffing levels are so much higher than other similar sized cities. Yeah, so he had floated a motion basically saying, hey, look, other cities have less staffing than us. So, you know, that's about 2,000 jobs more. So why is that? Yeah, do we need those 2,000 extra jobs? He's just asking the question. He's not proposing anything. And he took offense, I guess, to the reporting on this because the story that we found was from Global News mm -hmm. and it talked about cutting 2,000 jobs and they've added it an they have added an editor's note now that actually says he wasn't calling for the staff cuts, just clear justification for the size of the city staff. Yeah, and I've, um, ironically, this week with uh, Donald Trump calling Justin Trudeau two-faced, causing a media snafu, I've long <laughs> criticized Michael Walters for campaigning one way and then governing the other. 
And this is a long-standing problem I have with him as a counselor, which is just that you can never reliably know how he's going to vote because his campaigning is so radically different than his votes. And this is just another blip on that radar. So I'm I'm not willing to be charitable to him in this case. By asking the question and by making tweets defending yourself against the uh, minister for municipal affairs by saying, we've got 0% on the table, we've got job cuts on the table, but I'm just asking the question, they're not... They're not on the table, but they're on the table. Pick a lane, counselor. And the lane you're picking is running for mayor. (laughs) Um, I saw this a lot. He did a interview with Ryan Jesperson, um, which was a pretty decent interview for someone who's trying to determine if Michael Walters is running for mayor. Michael Walters slogan is going to be something along the lines of fiscal stability and economic stability. And Ryan Jesperson lobbed it right out to him. He's the only politician in Alberta who's advocating for fiscal restraint while reacting to climate change. And that's going to be the claim that he stakes out. Interesting. Um, One of the things that I found was really interesting was in his conversation with Ryan Jesperson, he was talking about how property taxes were out of control. He was taking a very conservative uh, demonstration of it. And he said, Something along the lines of, you know, I had heard of a downtown entrepreneur where their assessment went from $7,400 to $54,000 in four years. And, well, they, they just can't afford that. We've got to change something. Right. And it really reminded me of, if you remember in the last provincial election, the now MLA for Brooks Medicine Hat, uh, Michaela Glasgow, she had uh, tweeted that a church was facing a $50,000 right. carbon tax bill for 2019. That bill was actually $5,400, and it turned out that the church was happy to pay the carbon tax and supported the carbon tax. (laughs) So this sort of like secondhand, oh, well, I've heard a really bad case of this one person getting an assessment increase, does nothing for me. And I really wish he hadn't mentioned it. But it's the same campaigning that we saw worked very well for the UCP in the provincial election. And what we're seeing from Michael Walters is he seems to be latching on to this idea of I can campaign to the right and there's a huge untapped market there. Because if the case is that Iveson is rerunning, Iveson has the left, the left yeah. center vote locked up. Michael Walters has the charisma of Iveson and he's, you know, a tall guy, pretty handsome, <laughs> makes you feel special in a room. Sure. But Mike Nickel doesn't really have that as much. He's sort of like, crotchety and disagreeable and that's, his, that's yeah. his persona in council if mike if there's so many mics too many mics if michael walters can capitalize on that right-wing vote while still maintaining oh climate change credentials and a personable persona i think that's his strategy to run for mayor especially easy to do when you know that nobody is going to support a zero percent increase that's well, not happening council will keep it to the 2.6 is my prediction which because the cuts were absurd But politically, Michael Walters is running away with very cynical, but a very good win there. Because I tried. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But he didn't try. Right. He just asked the question. (laughs) So no one can accuse him of getting job cuts. But everyone who wants job cuts says, oh, Michael Walters fought for job cuts. Right. Uh, He's playing both sides of the field very well. Um, Speaking of both sides of the field. That's a transition. High level (laughs) line is both sides of the bridge. This is a project that we've been following for a while. Um, It's the project to turn the top deck of the high level bridge into uh, pedestrian, cyclist, and 
streetcar utopia um, and make sort of a linear park. And it's something we've all been a fan of. Yeah. There was news on that this week. It sounds awesome. It's a great idea. It's one of these urban design projects that emerged in the community and has come forward now to council for some support and some endorsement. Um, and this week they finally got to the report from a high level line group. It had been delayed a couple of times and, you know, not the greatest timing to come forward to council with an ask for half a million dollars, but council did indicate that they like this project and they want to support it. And they basically agreed to find $85,000 to try to help get it to the next stage. So it's not everything that the group behind the park was looking for, but it is an important step that can help them, you know, further refine the vision for the project and um, start to move that 4.3 kilometer, you know, route a little bit forward in terms of design and, and planning. I mean, I'm super happy for the high level. line. I wanted to go forward. I think it's a great project. However... I think the most interesting part about the high-level line was who wasn't in support of it. And maybe not today, but in the past week, we've had Ward 6 Councillor Scott McKean really take to the media and advocate against the project. Not against the idea so much, but he said, um, quote, uh, he supports the idea, but it's unlikely the society will get much money from the city pointing and he pointed to a uh, balance between public and private investment and suggested that you know, the high-level line really ought to be privately funded. This ha- ought to be a private amenity. To which I ask, what? <laughs> um, he's the downtown counselor. Downtown constantly complains about a lack of green spaces and amenities, um, about over-densifying and removal of services. He's complained about that. This is all public land of Linear Park. It's relatively cheap in terms of everything. And he's advocating that, well, let's get companies to pay for it and charge admission. I don't. What What is he doing? And the group behind this has already done quite a lot of work for free. These are professional urban designers, urban planners that have taken the project this far already. So it's not like somebody had an idea, brought it to council and said, we'd like support to build this thing. They actually did a bunch of work to get to that point. And in fact, uh, at High Level Line Day just this summer, Scott McKean and Ben Henderson were there extolling the virtues of ideas and proclaiming it High Level Line Day. Let's get this thing built. So it was a really baffling take from McKean. Especially because when the gondola last came up, which has also been delayed, McKean was pretty vocal about supporting big grand ideas. He thought that was an important thing that we needed to do. He said, I would never want to see us discourage creative projects. We need to encourage creative projects even maybe even more now with ever tightening of the belt provincially. That's what he said. This was in October 30th. This was more recently than I thought. (laughs) That's not very long ago at all. I worry, and especially with, I'm going to say the upcoming election, it's not upcoming, but we have a provincial climate where the UCP got elected and there's an austerity budget coming through, but Edmonton didn't vote for that. Right. I worry like our city councillors are looking at province wide polls and saying, oh, we got to tack really hard to the right because this is what the province wants. But I'm unconvinced that's what Edmontonians want. You need only look at Iveson's mandate. Absolutely. Um, so I, I think this is something to keep an eye on. And it may be the thorn in many of our councillor sides as they go through. Do they tack too hard to the right and then lose it all? I don't know, but... Last thing on high-level line, can you guess who else voted no? 
Was it Paquette? It was Nickel. Oh, well, oh, right, right. <laughs> Man, that was an embarrassing guess. Uh, yeah, okay. Mike Nickel. Shocking no one. When we're at that event, let's find out live. Karen Unland, the uh, head honcho of the Alberta Podcast Network, suggested that maybe we shouldn't talk about Mike Nickel every single episode. <laughs> and to you, I say, no. Uh, we have one last topic to get to before, and we'll just touch briefly. We mentioned uh, climate change initiatives last week, how there was about 16 initiatives that were funded, um, and they came to council this week, and thumbs up. Yeah, this is like an update, an annual update or periodic update on what the city is doing to address climate change. Council basically said, we want to do more, and they used this as a little bit of a campaigning tool, I guess you could say. Um, but Councillor Henderson brought the motion forward this time, basically saying that we don't need to wait to find out what the province is doing with energy efficiency, Alberta. We should fund whatever we need to do in order to bring those rebook programs to Edmonton. So that's about 11 and a quarter million dollars um, that would need to come from the city if we're not going to get that from the province. And there seemed to be broad support for that from the people you would expect, at least. All right. Um, so we'll keep you updated as those actually develop. I mean, I had mentioned that I'm really excited to see the mechanism by which the city will be providing rebates and stuff like that. But no more details are out right now. What we do have more details on is the Well Endowed podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted by Andrew Paul and Elizabeth Bonkink and produced by Lisa Pruden. And it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. You know where to find it. It's the wellendowedpodcast.com, wherever podcasts are sold. And you can subscribe to learn all about how the Edmonton Community Foundation is helping people create endowment funds that intersect with the community. Get it wherever podcasts are sold. And as always, if you want to find out more about the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, of which we're a proud member, you can go to albertapodcastnetwork.com. That's all for this week. Um, it's, it's a budget week. It's a real politics heavy. I don't want this to turn into provincial politics podcast. So if you, if UCP ministers could just stop tweeting at (laughs) municipal affairs, uh, like just stop. Um, that would make my life much, much easier. If you are interested in just municipal affairs without all that provincial riffraff, we've got a whole slew of roundups that get sent to your inbox every week don't we we do the council roundup every week we'll have all the details on what council decides next week in the budget uh, after that discussion takes place and of course that's what we'll talk about next week on the show as well okay until next week i'm troy i'm mac and we're speaking Speaking municipally. municipally